Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and you are listening to the Iron Women podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. We're here for another week. Haley, how's it going? Alyssa, happy Thanksgiving. This episode comes out on Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. Our, we're recording pre-Turkey Day, but uh, are you doing anything special this year? And by special, I mean like the pandemic special. Are you actually even eating any turkey? <laughs> I I think I will eat some turkey, but no, like, yeah, Thanksgiving, I think, as for a lot of people, has been canceled. Um, but I do have a super fun. I'm doing a solo turkey trot, which will be very fun um, with our athletes that we coach. Um, we are the whole team of us is doing our own like virtual fun team fun. So that will help me get through the morning of Thanksgiving. You can pick for like our challenge. Um you can do a 10K or a 5K turkey trot. And um, I'm picking the 5K because I'm not quite ready for a 10K. And so if you can remember for our very loyal listeners, I think it was back in August that I ran a 10K on the track. And my goal was to try and break 40 minutes because I've always wanted to break 40 minutes in the 10K. And I couldn't do it that day. It was very hot and humid. Excuses, excuses. I have a few for that day. But anyway, so... My plan for the turkey trot is to go to the track and run a 5K and try and be like just a hair under sub 40 pace if I was running a 10K. So like mentally, I'm trying to build myself into this confidence zone of like you can do it. And but um, since I ran the FKT run in the Adirondacks back in August also, um, it's been a slow return to like fast running for me. So it was just this past weekend where I started to feel not totally labored when I was trying to run fast. And I still wasn't even running at the pace I need to run to run under 40 minutes for a 10K. So I don't know. I'm going to see how it goes, I guess. And then I have a ride planned. And that's my Thanksgiving, which I'm actually quite excited about. And Haley, um, I know I've been talking now only me for like a minute or two, but I have one more other thing to tell you, which is that it's a race week for me. So I signed up for a race because I think I'm just itching to do anything competitive these days. So I have been doing some orienteering racing every now and then when I can. And I told you the other day that I got a mountain bike. And so, of course, like the first thing people do when they get a new bike, right, they just throw themselves into a race. So I convinced my boyfriend, Matt, to do a mountain bike race with me this weekend. It's a six-hour relay of an eight-mile loop course. So you do like you do you have to trade off loops, I guess. Or I don't even know if you have to trade but that was like my plan going into it. We would just trade off laps, you know? And so um, that's my that's my Thanksgiving holiday race extravaganza time. So, okay. I, I need to go through all of this. <laughs> I threw a lot the, at you. <laughs> the team 5K or 10K, that's your team HPB, Hillary Biswey coaching team. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So, and a sub yes. at 5K at sub 40 minute 10K pace is also known as a sub 20 minute 5K, <laughs> correct? It is. <laughs> it is, but yes, but I guess I'm trying to look at it in the bigger picture and make it sound, you know, because sub 20 5K still sounds like so fast to me right now. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's just, I don't know. It sounds a little bit better being like, it's just running a 5K at sub 40 pace for a 10K. Right. Okay. I get I'm, it. I mean, I think I you can still say it's 10K pace. Yeah. yeah. It's um, a 5K at 10K pace. So which a 10K pace, 10K pace to me, like sometimes if I have like um, 30 seconds at 10K pace, I think of that as a hard 30 seconds. Like I don't yeah. think of that as like, ah, nice. It's only 30 seconds. Like 10K pace is, is moving as is 5K pace. And like you said, when we're, when, when you're used to running like uh 200 plus miles, uh, as you do on occasion, um, 5k, 10k, what's the difference? Right. <laughs> so, 
anyway, just lace um, up my shoes and sprint is basically what I'm going to be doing. Um, you don't have to worry about fueling. I mean, it's kind of, it's going to be really fun. And then this mountain bike race, I'm assuming this is the weekend after Thanksgiving. So this is this upcoming weekend on Saturday or Sunday. Correct. It's going to be on Sunday and the weather looks like it should be good because um, people don't really mountain bike in mud. I don't know if you're not supposed to train mountain biking. I'm learning if it's been raining or raining enough that the trails are wet because you ruin the trails and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know if they would still hold the race. But anyway, regardless, the weather looks good. The trail should be dry enough to race. And I'm hoping I've been doing some panic training and which also means I've been doing a lot of panic bike falling over like I don't even know if I could call it crashing what I'm doing how, on the mountain bike <laughs> how technical is this loop that you're riding do you know so hopefully it's not as technical as what I've been training on the last couple days because I it's hard like mountain biking is hard and when you're on like twisty turny rooty up and down trails that are like it's just a new skill right and I don't have those skills yet and so um some of it I'm able to I have strength and like I can just kind of fake my way through it I feel like by just pure power um but you know I'm hoping I read the course description today and it says it's a mix of rocky rudy classic east coast single track which okay that's not going to be very fast but then it also said it has some fire roads and I think some gravel maybe too so that stuff should be pretty fast but how many miles in a loop (laughs) it's eight mile loop but the past two days I've been doing like four to five miles an hour on like quite technical single track so (laughs) So you might only be doing like two loops right so yeah we're gonna let Matt start so at least he gets one loop in before I head out there and (laughs) so the first loop takes an hour and the second loop takes seven hours (laughs) way to go team (laughs) well hopefully it'll only take me hopefully I at least make it back in five hours so that we can at least finish two two loops for it but and hopefully I mean I don't know hopefully my goal is my goal is to at least, yeah, get him to two loops. And then who cares what I do, I guess. As long as I want to do one, obviously. But, like, it's a lot harder than I expected. So um, I just want to race and, like, have fun and learn some new things and learn kind of the stuff that goes along with mountain bike racing. And, um, you know, it seems like that's a good way to race socially distanced these days. So um, it should be should be pretty fun. I'll look forward to hearing about that and the 5k next week and um, best of luck to you. Sounds like you will be fueling up for all the adventures this week. I am, uh, my mom sent me a gift card to uh, get my own uh, (laughs) Thanksgiving. Did she send you a gift card to Outback Steakhouse? My parents always send me gift cards to Outback Steakhouse when they want me to like get Ted's Ted's Steakhouse. (laughs) Ted's Montana Grill or whatever. Ted's Montana Grill, which I actually love and is just on the street. We do actually have a Ted's Montana Grill in Montana. So Oh, perfect. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to like go all out on the Thanksgiving feast for myself and Cowboy. And then we're going to Zoom with the rest of my family. So it will be a Thanksgiving to remember. But um, I don't know what my my exercise plans are exactly yet. Um, I'm not one to that is capable of planning that far ahead. <laughs> like that's like asking me four days ahead, Alyssa. Like I have no idea. Who knows what the, what is good, the world's going to be like in four days? So I'm sure there will be some exercising. Uh, not a turkey trot happening here, but um, not even a solo one. Actually, oh, I'm running the Peachtree 10K, <laughs> the Atlanta Peachtree 10K. I did sign up for that, so I'll be doing that. Not very Atlanta esque weather. I think we have snow in the forecast on Wednesday, but I will get my through self through at least a 10K. It probably will not be my fastest peach tree, but peach tree is not a fast course anyway. So, you know, I'll just go out there and do what I can. I'll probably put the bib number on. I already wore my t-shirt, which I know it's like, is that sacrilegious to wear your race t-shirt before race day? But it's a nice shirt. And I was like, I need it. I want to wear it. I'm not waiting. I don't know if that rule, I think, yeah, with virtual races, I think that rule has to, is like different. I think you just don't do it before like an in-person event maybe, but with virtual races, it's a different spirit. I feel like the the shirt says July fourth, twenty twenty on it, and so I was just like, you know, if it says July fourth, and yeah, I can wear it in November. Yeah. <laughs> I have run a ten k since July fourth, <laughs> at least once, at least once. Yeah, but uh, no, happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, We are we're very, very grateful for all of you and for listening to us for yet another year, even this challenging year with uh, lots of ups and downs and uh, um, new experiences for all of us. (laughs) 
And Haley, we are continuing to bring our listeners some ups more than downs because we have a great deal for them to take part in uh, before it ends on November 30th. So it ends on Monday. But one of our lovely sponsors, Zelios, is running a 30% off discount with the code IRONWOMEN through Monday. So special Black Friday kind of pricing sale going on teamzelios.com. You can stock up on all of your favorites there, whether it's the sunscreen, the race relief, the shampoo, conditioner, body wash, lotion combo, the Betwixt chamois cream, any of it, 30% off teamzelios.com, code IRONWOMEN through November 30th. I also heard, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard there's going to be a special like Iron Women or maybe it's Live Feisty landing page. And Alyssa, they asked us for testimonials <laughs> of our favorite products. Do you, do, can I, can, would you, do you want to guess what my favorite products are? <laughs> I only my favorite need, Team Zelios products. Yeah. Haley, I only need one guess for that. I know what it is. It's the Betwixt Chamois Cream. I love Betwixt. It is. I my. I think they might have had to edit down my testimonial because they're like, Haley, we did not need like this much information. But I love Betwixt. I also think it makes a great gift. I have given Betwixt as a gift before and it was very happily received. I mean, it's a little odd, but like it's one of those ones. It's a consumable gift, right? They're going to use it. And everyone loves consumable gifts. And it's not a food gift because, you know, food is hard. You don't necessarily know like what um, people can eat or not eat. But everyone, everyone needs chamois cream. I love it. I love it. And Haley, unfortunately, we have an empty mailbag this week. So as everyone's enjoying Thanksgiving Zoom celebrations, eating that turkey. If you have a burning question for us that you would like Haley and I to answer, send it to our mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll take a stab at it. Training related, life life related, really any related at this point, because let's just fill that mailbag back up, guys. I, I don't have a turkey in my future, but burning question just made me think of Thanksgiving. Also, I want to take a stab at it. Made me think of like stabbing the turkey or stabbing your mashed potatoes. I don't know. I have like obviously have Thanksgiving on the brain, Alyssa, but um, burning questions. Send them. Also happening this week, Haley, there's like we're I mean, sometimes we do a good job of being on the forefront of the breaking news, but this time we're like actually on the forefront of breaking news with our interview happening this week. That's right, because Alyssa, we're recording this on Monday, and today, AstraZeneca Oxford just announced the early results from their phase three COVID-19 vaccine trials, suggesting that their vaccine is up to 90% effective. This is super good news, Alyssa. We want a vaccine and um, multiple vaccines so that, you know, we can get back to like more, a little bit more like normal life. But we talked to Victoria Anderson, who's an age group triathlete, a nuclear engineer, and a participant in the AstraZeneca vaccine trial. So we did record this interview with Victoria before this most recent breaking news, but she did walk us through her experience with that trial. She explained how this vaccine technology differs from other vaccines. And she tells us if she had any hesitations to join the trial, given that she is an accomplished athlete actively training and participating and competing. So we'll have that conversation with Victoria right after a word from our sponsors. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an orca wetsuit. Ooh, tell me. My dad. No way. I didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer. It's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. 
That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Healy's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Ironwomen15 code for 15% off. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. So we're super excited to have you on as a guest today because you are a volunteer for the AstraZeneca Oxford COVID-19 vaccine trial. So how did you first hear about the trial? So uh, when the COVID pandemic was going around the globe this spring, uh, my husband and I looked into any trials we could enroll in to assist with ending the pandemic. Uh, we live pretty close to the National Institutes of Health. We live in Washington, DC. So we're about four miles away from NIH. Plus we're not far from Hopkins. We're not far from Georgetown and George Washington and uh, Howard University. So lots of very prestigious medical schools around that are always doing research. And so we just sort of threw our names in everything that came past. Um, we volunteered to have our blood study for antibodies in case we had been asymptomatic. We volunteered for several vaccine trials, um, and I wound up getting picked for this one. Have you been part of a vaccine trial previously, or is this the first one? This is my first vaccine trial. Um, I've been um, a medical teaching subject before um, because being in a large metropolitan area, there are a lot of teaching hospitals. So um, I've been a case study for medical students before um, and they always ask for your consent, but uh, I want to give the medical community the opportunity to improve in advance and help people learn. So I'm always okay for a whole bunch of people coming in and watching. And Victoria, you are also a competitive age group triathlete. And so were you worried after hearing that you were picked for the vaccine trial that that could kind of negatively impact your health, your training? You know, it's there's so much uncertainties there. Did that cross your mind? It impact the con the potential to impact my health crossed my mind a little bit, um, but I knew that the vaccines were more or less similar to what goes out for the um, for the seasonal flu vaccine, just in terms of their ingredients and what's in them. Um, so it wasn't, um, while well, we're dealing with like a new genetic sequence and new virus, like it wasn't going to be substantially different from what I get every year with the seasonal flu vaccine. So I wasn't too concerned. I know there's always a chance that something could happen. Um, I wasn't too concerned about like, is this going to make me slower at swim, bike, run? Um, I guess I would be concerned if like it disabled me in a way that I could never swim or bike or run again. Like that would definitely make me sad. Um, but I don't, uh, I mean, at this point, uh, unless we get enough, uh, vaccine trial volunteers, none of us are competing in triathlon anytime soon. So, um, I definitely felt like that was a priority over everything else. Can you walk us through the vaccine trial process after you found out you had been chosen to take part in it? Sure. So after I did a screening with them and I, I'd actually been screened by um, two other trials before this one selected me to actually come in in person. Um, they start, they screen you to make sure you're eligible. And then I think it's kind of just random chance who they actually pick and because they pick people who have like certain characteristics and fit this or that profile. So in the screening process, they sort of assessed whether I was suitable for the trial. And some of the things they looked at were like my age, um, my like, height and weight, like, so they needed to get a good cross-section of Americans. And then they needed people who had like a non-zero uh, probability of being exposed to COVID. So uh, they don't really enroll people who like are at home staying by themselves and like never go out at all because they're never going to be exposed. So they aren't, they can't put them in like a risk group when they pull the clinical trial subjects. So um, the reason that I was, I met their criteria was I live in a building in DC with like six or 700 other people. So there's really no way for us to totally socially isolate at home. Um, I mean, we all wear masks and we're in common areas, but ultimately like we share laundry rooms, we share the trash chute, we share elevators, like the um, HVAC is shared. Like 
there's no way for us to be completely isolated from people. So I have that uh, minor risk factor. Um, and I also swim indoors four days a week now. Um, again, we're all one person to a lane and we're literally bathing in disinfectant the entire time. So I feel like it's not a huge risk, but it's not zero. Um, and I also am uh, once a week out in person uh, coaching a youth synchronized swimming team. So there's sort of that exposure of like, I'm around the lifeguards. Yes, we're all distance wearing masks, but it's not zero. So um, they needed people who were out and about a little bit. Um, and so I was in, I met their profile for that risk group. Um, so after I screened in, um, they made an appointment for me to come in for a physical and interview and getting either the vaccine or the placebo. That first appointment was like four hours. I don't know why I thought I was just going to go in and get the injection. Like it should have been evident to me, right? That they were going to need to study what I was like before they gave me either the vaccine or the placebo. But like, um, you know, they did first upon entering the building, they did the initial screen to make sure I wasn't COVID positive or anything, um, that I wasn't sick. And then they did basically like a full physical, like you would get if you went into the doctor for your annual physical. Um, I had to confirm that I understood the potential risks, that I understood why I was doing the clinical trial, that I was there voluntarily, um, like I wasn't being coerced into doing it or anything. So um, a lot of the like medical ethics things um, I had to consent to. Um, so yeah, so they did a COVID test on me, they did a COVID antibody test on me because um, if either were positive, then I wouldn't be eligible for the trial. Um, didn't have either of those, obviously. So um, they took a whole bunch of blood out of me, like um, like a lot. Like I think they were taking blood out of me for like five minutes, um, and that actually kind of made me feel like a little woozy when I had to drive home. Um, again, I'm not sure why I wasn't prepared for that. Like I knew obviously they were gonna have to take some. I just I'm not sure I realized how much they were gonna have to take. Um, and then I got either a placebo or the trial vaccine. And two thirds of us are getting the trial vaccine and one third of us get the placebo. So um, after that, they made me sort of sit around and they um, had me download this app for my phone where I log any symptoms I might have. Um, and if I flag a certain number of COVID symptoms, I have to go up there to get tested and then they track my symptoms and everything. And so um, I also have to go in for like blood tests so that they can test my antibody response. Um, and compare the placebo group and the um, actual vaccine group. So it actually um, spans two years that I have like regular appointments that I go up there and get my blood drawn. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of involved. I, my understanding is that the first appointment is the longest and after that, it's only like an hour. So and Victoria, I feel like the obvious question people will want to know right off the bat here is like, could you tell, right, if two thirds were of the trial participants, which I believe they had 50,000 um, worldwide, two thirds were given the vaccine trial and one third were given a placebo. So was there any indication, like, did you feel like mentally you were guessing kind of that whole <laughs> day or so afterwards? What was it like? Yeah, so I was guessing and I actually at first like I was driving home and the only thing I felt was like I was so a little fatigued from having all the blood drawn. Like I didn't even feel anything in my arm. And I was like, oh, I obviously got the placebo. Like, and then um, later that night, it actually started to hurt. And it turns out that they put like um, a painkiller in their vaccines. That's what AstraZeneca does. So like, you won't feel the injection site regardless. And I actually wound up having like pain in my arm for about 48 hours and my temperature was up like about a degree and a half to two degrees. So it's possible that that sort of like proved that I got the vaccine, but it could also be totally psychosomatic and like the sore arm could just be from an injection technique. Um, but yeah, I was definitely like, I think I took my temperature like 20 times in 48 hours. And the AstraZeneca vaccine, is it, it's just one shot? It's two. So I go back December 2nd to get my second one. Okay. And just to be clear, once you receive, I guess, both doses of, or one dose, the current, you've done one, um, of either this vaccine or the placebo, you don't purposefully try to expose yourself to COVID-19, correct? You're just kind of living as you were before. Right. Yeah. So you just sort of, you just sort of go about your life. So like a lot of the people they've enrolled are like healthcare workers who are getting exposed this is part of their daily life. So when they're studying us, they put us into like risk bins. So I'm probably in one of the lower ones um, because 
like I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm not working in like a nursing home or something, but I am out and about in the community. Um, so, um, and again, living in a building with so many people in it where it's just um, impossible to be totally isolated. So yeah, there's no purposeful exposure to COVID. They just look at um, how many people getting the placebo get infected over a period of time versus how many who got the vaccine. And that's how they come up with their like percentage effective rate. And have you been able, like, did you know anyone else in this particular trial or in a different trial even, were you able to compare experiences and kind of judge like who has been picked and, you know, even compare placebo to vaccine, like, you know, guesses and things like that? Yeah, so um, I actually, just by chance, somebody I know from college who's a law professor at UNH uh, enrolled in the same vaccine trial, because um, it's at so many different sites throughout the country. And uh, we sort of chatted about what we noticed. He noticed a headache in addition to the mild fever. Um, to be honest, I got my first shot um, three days after the presidential election in the US. So I'd kind of had a headache for like a week. Um, so I probably wouldn't have noticed. I know you have some international listeners, but um, I, I think most people understand that we sort of all had a low grade headache for a while there. Recent news has been dominated by the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are messenger RNA vaccines that once injected use mRNA to instruct cells to create the viral protein, which would then trigger an immune response. So the AstraZeneca vaccine is different from those in that it's a viral vector vaccine, which transports genetic information via a less harmful virus. So in this case, I believe it's a non-replicating common cold virus found in chimpanzees. And so then that genetic information triggers the creation of the viral protein and the subsequent immune response. So an mRNA vaccine has yet to be approved for human use. And viral vector technology, which is also relatively new, it actually has been more extensively studied and it's previously approved in one Ebola vaccine that I know of. Did the vaccine technology, the newness of it, make any difference in your decision to take part in the trial? It didn't really impact my decision to take part. Um, I really just wanted to do something to help us all move forward from this. Um, so it, it was sort of just chance that I got selected for the AstraZeneca one. Um, I mean, either way, it was going to be a groundbreaking vaccine. So um, I was happy to take part in this one. Oh, is it hard to be in the AstraZeneca trial when the Pfizer and Moderna trials are getting so much media attention? <laughs> it's not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's hard. I get a lot of questions. Like every time there's news about one of the other ones, they're like, were you in this physical, like this clinical trial? Like everyone's asking me like, no, I'm on a, I'm in a different one. And uh, I'm not sure you might not know this. The reason the AstraZeneca one is a little behind is because they had some adverse safety findings that they paused for. If you, you probably remember that, like, in September, um, and I actually read in detail about that, but that's why they're a little behind. They were actually ahead at first because the work is based on some vaccine research that Oxford did on Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, so the MERS virus. So they already had a head start, but then they got put behind by the, um, by the pause. Um, if, if you want more details on that, I got to read all about it before I signed off on my forms. But it turns out that, um, three people had um, some sort of nervous system response, which is, you know, that sounds scary. One of them was getting the placebo. So they're like, okay. Another one they found out had multiple sclerosis um, that was clearly not related. And the third one, like they couldn't find any mechanism that it would have been the vaccine. Um, and then it sort of went away. So that's how they, they were, they basically like dug in and said, here's, how it happened, but they had to do that pause, which was good. I'm glad they did that. Um, so that's why they're a little bit behind, but I think you're gonna start seeing a lot more news like AstraZeneca's vaccine is out in the news. It was out in yesterday's news because it got really promising results in older individuals um, compared to the other vaccines. So, you know, I think all of these vaccines that are showing results are gonna be distributed in some way. And like this one might be the one that they give to older individuals. Um, like for the seasonal flu shot, people over 65 can request a flu shot for older individuals that's like better targeted for them. Uh, and I think the other thing, like this one might also be better for distribution. 
um, in countries that aren't as wealthy because it's more like six to eight dollars a dose, whereas the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are more like 40 to 80. Um, so I think it's, I mean, I think uh, everyone recognizes like we're going to need every candidate out there. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, um, it, it would obviously be nice to know that we have some efficacy results and like to know that I've gotten a vaccine, but we'll find out soon enough. And I guess, is there a point when they tell you what you have? I saw someone on the news the other day and I was watching and he said, I think, I think he got his second dose. And then after that, he eventually goes in and they, they tell him what he had kind of maybe, but I guess maybe in the sense of like, if he got the placebo, he's then given the option to get the vaccine early or something like that. So is that something that they, that AstraZeneca is offering to you as well? Like, did they tell you about that part? Yeah, this is standard for um, any kind of clinical trial like this. So if it is found to be highly effective, um, they will unblind the trial. And then those of us who got the placebo will have the option to get the full vaccine. Um, if it's not found to be effective, then they don't offer you that because like, there's no reason. But then what they offer you instead is a competing vaccine that was found to be effective. Like you would be first in line to get that if you wanted to do so. Um, if the two vac like if they have similar efficacy rates, you stick with the one that they for the clinical trial you're in. But yeah, this is something that um, the National Institute of Health like biomedical ethics has really put a lot of thought into like well before any of this. So that does sound like that's an incentive to sign up. And given your experience, would you encourage other people to participate in future vaccine trials? Yeah, and absolutely any clinical trial that you might be eligible for. Um, most of the large scale ones are phase three, meaning that they've had like preliminary safety studies and everything. So um, all the risks are pretty well known and you could get treatment for a condition you have um, that maybe you're struggling with. Um, and it could eventually help people down the road and really advance medical science. And Victoria, aside from being part of the vaccine trial, the pandemic has been very personal personal for you since March when your parents were aboard the Holland Air Zandam cruise. Am I saying this correct? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Zandam. <laughs> I'm like putting a nice American twang on it, I'm sure. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I was denied entry to ports in South America after passengers and the crew fell ill. I think a lot of people probably did see this on the news too as well, especially if you're, you're East Coast, at least. I know I was watching about it. Um, the ship ultimately was able to dock in Florida, but four passengers did die of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So how are your parents doing now since all of that? Yeah, so um, they on the ship had what ship medical called the common cold. Um, and uh, my mom was like coughing and stiffly and my dad was just like coughing and super tired. Um, they didn't have enough test kits on board to test everybody. They basically, once they found out that, once they got some test kits and found out that like one person had COVID-19, it was pretty clear the ship was not gonna be able to dock anywhere um, until they eventually made their final destination of Fort Lauderdale. Um, but after they got home, um, after like enjoying being in more than 200 square feet of space, once they got home, they, um, were just sort of like tired and wiped them the experience. And then my dad kind of just like never fully recovered. Like he was like sleeping like 12, 13 hours a day um, and was having problems with swelling in his hands and feet and legs. So they, um, he went to his primary care provider and did a COVID antibody test. And it turns out that both of them had it. Uh, well, they were on the ship, which they did not know at the time. So um, they wound up doing a lot of follow-up work with my dad, um, and he wound up having to have a procedure for his heart. Um, it turns out it caused some heart damage for him. He is more or less fine now. Uh, my mom didn't really have any permanent adverse effects, so she uh, donated plasma. So she donated some antibodies. She went in for a three antibody um treatments or not three antibody donations. So that was pretty cool that she was able to do that. Um, and what about yeah, for you, I guess, how was yeah. the experience like from your end? Because I do, I remember seeing your posts and you kind of had to like 
I've, I felt like lobby in some ways. I feel like there's a lot going on behind the scenes for you to like be in contact with your parents and be, I don't know, were you making calls trying to like help them in any way? I mean, how can you really help when, you know, it's, it had to have felt helpless. So tell us about that from your perspective. Yeah, it definitely felt a little bit helpless. Um, several of the family members who had people on board sort of got in touch with each other over social media. Um, like I was searching like all sorts of random phrases and hashtags on Twitter to find people. And so we set up this WhatsApp chat to like get information from each other because um, passengers were locked down. So they weren't able to talk to each other, but we could get messages from what they were hearing and like people on the ship were messaging each other. And that sort of helped us put information together. Um, we tracked where the ship was and we were like tracking what relevant local media were saying about whether or not they would be allowed to port and let people off board. Um, I got really good at using Google Translate for Spanish uh, because I unfortunately took Japanese when I was in high school. Not very helpful in this situation. So um, there was a lot of tracking what was going on. It definitely got to be like pretty wild. Some of the things that the ship went through. Um, I think a lot of this wasn't too publicized, but like um, when they were trying to debark in like the southernmost point of Chile at Punta Arenas, um, the Chilean Navy met them at, with like their guns pointed at them so that the ship couldn't dock. And like, my mom sent me like a picture from their, from their window. She's like, yep, just a normal, just a normal day here. Um, they eventually just left. Um, and, um, I'm trying to think some of the other crazy things that happened, um, there was like any time there was like word that the ship might come somewhere, like the locals protested like crazy, uh, which I understand, like there was a lot of fear there about the unknown. Um, so they needed some additional medical supplies. So they made this unannounced like 3 a.m. stop in Ecuador to get some stuff on board and like no one had been notified of it. Um, and they told them like afterwards, um, trying to think what else was crazy. So when they went through the Panama Canal, because they had to get permission to do that, they like stayed like just outside the Panama Canal. And there was this announcement at like 9 p.m. their time like, that was like, lower all your shades, turn off all your lights and keep it that way until we tell you otherwise. <laughs> they had to like, just like go through, like it was like they were sneaking through the Panama Canal with this gigantic cruise ship. And like, I, it was happening during the middle of the night and we were using this cruise tracker app to see where their ship was. And I was like, wake, I was like, I wasn't sleeping. I'm just sitting there at like two in the morning and I'm like, oh, they're almost through. Um, so I thought once I got through the Panama Canal, it was not going to be crazy. But then like the day they were supposed to make it to Florida, uh, my mom calls me in the morning and she's like, the ship just stopped. Um, and I think I see Cuba. <laughs> it's like, oh no. So it turns out that they basically stopped anytime they got to like some sort of territorial water and like begged the country to take the super sick people off board to give them medical attention. And no one uh, was willing to do that. So it wasn't until they finally got to Fort Lauderdale that they were able to get um, get those people medical attention. And I think it was like 13 people that they had to take to the uh, local hospitals once they got to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, there was definitely a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, apparently, like my mom just charmed every media personality for the major networks. Like she was, uh, I think she was on every major morning show in the United States. Uh, yeah, my mom is one of those people that like does not, there's no such thing as a stranger to her, just a friend she doesn't know that well yet. Um, so she was like talking to like CNN, she was like talking to everybody, she was like doing interviews with reporters like all the time. Um, and she actually like became friends with uh, Carrie Sanders at NBC, who's like a correspondent in Florida, and she makes his like on the air masks for him. <laughs> So like, like whenever we hear his voice, we're like, oh, it's mask watch time. So yeah, it definitely wound up being something like totally wild that like, I don't think anybody anticipated when they uh, flew out of JFK on like March 3rd or whatever it was. Wow, what a story. I'm so glad your parents are are mostly recovered and doing better and that you're doing better. And and now you're kind of able to tell this as as a very wild story that it's probably, I mean, it's hard to believe it's real, but I'm sure they, they, they will tell you it was real. They were on that ship. Yeah. But going back to you and your own racing, 
I believe you qualified and you'd plan to uh, compete in four different multi-sport world championship events in 2020. Mm-hmm. So how have you been handling race cancellations this year in between your lobbying efforts, working with major news <laughs> sources, uh, you know, COVID vaccine trials, you're doing everything. Yeah. So, um, it actually even goes back to before this year. So when I did long distance triathlon world in Penticton in British Columbia, they piloted this new award, which is the multi-sport legend award. And to get it, you have to do four races at the multi-sport world championships. So they basically have like, um, six races that ha- happen there. There's cross triathlon, which is like off-road triathlon. They have standard duathlon, sprint duathlon, aquathlon, which is swim and run bike, which is swim and bike and long distance triathlon. So if you do four of those in the span of eight days in one year, they give you this multi-sport legend award. And so when I was there in 2017, um, so few women got it. I was like, well, I should do this. Like we should definitely, you know, represent more women. Well, it was going to be too late for 2018 because the USA had had several other qualifying events already. So I was like, let's do this for 2019. So I went to all the qualifying races in 2018 qualified in four events, which um, that was a really tiring year. And I was all ready to go to Pontevedra, Spain to do my four events in April of 2019. And about two months before the event happened, um, the there was a nationalist party in Spain that called for a recall election. And that meant they had to redo the schedule and I couldn't do um, one of my events because they were, it was going to be like two of the events I was supposed to do were supposed to be on the same day and the ITU wouldn't let us do two events of the same day. So, um, I mean, I still went and it was still awesome and I still had three events, um, but yeah, no multi-sport legend. So I was like, okay, we're going to do this again, 2019. We're going to like qualify in four events. We're going to be tired. And then we're going to go in 2020 to Almir in the Netherlands, which is great because I also love the Netherlands and we were going to go to Paris. And then when like this was getting canceled for that for COVID and everything, my friends were like, you cannot attempt this again. Like, <laughs> I don't they're like the world is going to end if you ever attempt this again. Because um, like I was like, I'm going to have to go and try to qualify for 2021. Uh, but it turns out that like all the qualifying events for 2021 got canceled and all our qualifications just rolling over from 2020. Um, but yeah, like I had friends who were definitely like, no, don't go to duathlon nationals. Like you're, you're cursed. No way. You need that multi-sport legend award. We, we need Victoria. I, yeah, we need you up when that, whatever, whatever they stage, whatever platform they give you. Yeah, the stage. Um, so, so many triathletes kind of get caught up in qualifying for the Ironman or Ironman 70.3 branded mm-hmm. world championships. Can you say anything to kind of convince more athletes to also consider the world triathlon events and get more women getting this multi-sport legend award? Yeah. I mean, I would say some things that are pretty cool about it is, first of all, um, countries get to send um, athletes to the uh, World Triathlon Championship events with gender parity, meaning they send 18 men and 18 women per age group. So there's gender equality in who they send to the race, which is very awesome. I know that's not the case in the Ironman World Championships or Ironman 70.3 World Championships. so that is one thing that is really cool. You also get to like race in the Team USA kit. Like, so you get all of that. You like at the Team USA uniform, there's like a parade. There's like the big Team USA photo. Um, you actually have like um, Team USA provided like medical support. And uh, like there's a chiropractor and a couple of massage therapists that travel with the team. Um, and if you wind up with like travel trouble, like they'll help you out with that. Like if something goes wrong with your bike, like you have an automatic network of everybody there for team USA. Um, and you get to compete with all the people from all over the world. So it is pretty cool. Um, plus it, like the venue changes all the time. Um, if you are doing, um, the standard distance or the sprint distance, you get to see all the Olympians because they have their like grand final at the same time. Um, so like. I got to uh, run past Javier Gomez in Rotterdam um, a few years ago and like yell his name and wave at him. I think he ran faster uh, to get away from me. But yeah, you get to see like everybody, like you can go and just watch the elite race, um, like before your own race. And you see like, they're right there. 
um, on the run course and the bike course and everything. It's pretty cool. So yeah. Super fun. I mean, you, you had me a gender equality. I actually didn't realize that that was, do they do like, I guess, based on participation, how numbers are then uh, allotted to each age group. This just seems to make so much sense. It's actually just um, pure um, country per age group per gender. So um, normally it's 18 per division. So like 18 women, 40 to 44, 18 men, 40 to 44. So um, that's what each country gets to send. Unless you're the host country, then you get to send 25. Um, but otherwise, it's just that's just what it is. It's like that's how many entries you're allowed to get. And I believe it's the same thing at the elite level. Like you're only allowed to enter like in the ITU draft legal races for like uh, the uh, World Triathlon Series. You're only allowed to enter like five men or five women unless you're the host country and then you get like eight or something. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool that they do that. And Victoria, we know you're an accomplished triathlete. You are a COVID vaccine trial hero. We haven't even touched on your day job as a nuclear engineer, but you're, and you have kind of mentioned that you are a synchronized swimming coach and judge. So we Mm -hmm. heard that very briefly, but we have our final question for you here, which is very (laughs) important here. Do you think synchronized swimmers would make great triathletes? I know several who have gone on to do it. Um, and I think, uh, you can definitely excel because the sport of synchronized swimming can be so challenging. Um, I actually joke that I do triathlons because synchronized swimming was too hard and I can't do it anymore. Like, I guess to put it in perspective, like doing a synchronized swimming routine in competition is kind of like doing an all out 400 IM, but you're not allowed to breathe as much as you'd like. Like you're limited in how many breaths you can take per length. Like it's, um, I, I get reminded of it when the kids I coach, like sometimes after a routine swim at a meet, like they will like barely get out of the pool and they'll just like lay there on the deck. And I'm like, I do not miss that feeling. Um, I mean, it's a great sport and it's so much fun and it is kind of fun. Sometimes I still play around with it, but like it is very, 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 very challenging. So um, I think, yeah, if you have that background and you move on to triathlon, like, um, you know, going out and doing that Ironman Louisville marathon back when it was August and it was like 97 degrees, like no big deal. It's fine. I can still stand up. We need to make t-shirts for the people who did Ironman Louisville back when it was in August. (laughs) I feel like we need a little club, but I want to ask, do you ever do like underwaters? Like, do you ever do, um, like try to see how long you can hold your breath now or just impress anyone with that? Yeah. I mean, at Master Swimming, sometimes we do breath work and like, everybody's like, I can't do this. Like, and I'm like, come on, like my little nine-year-old synchronized swimmers can do this. Um, the last time I tried to really go as far as I could, I got like just shy of 50 yards. When I was like in peak shape, I could do like 75 yards. Um, now I know I always look at those signs at the pool that are like, you must take one breath per length or something. They're like, no breath holding. I'm like, yeah. who does that? Like who would do that? And I'm, now I know they're for you. <laughs> yeah, no, you actually have to like, we, it's a big education thing within the sport to make sure that people are being supervised when they're doing breath control work, because, um, you can get like a runaway, uh, negative neurological response and like people have blacked out and all that. And like, it's, it's definitely something you have to watch. So, like if our kids are doing unders, like a coach is like sitting there watching them and like, making sure they're moving. I'm glad they have that. I do not do any breath control now. I did plenty as a swimmer <laughs> and I just went the 400 I am with as many breaths as I could possibly take. <laughs> and it was hard enough for me. So lots of respect to the synchronized swimmers. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on the show today and for sharing so much information about the vaccine trial and more. We wish you the best with the rest of the trial. We wish you the best with the 2021 Multisport Legend Award. And thank you again for, for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. It was great to chat with you guys. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question. An easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport. Keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question, a three-day, 16-hour, fastest-known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. 
Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's Live Feisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelio's products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Alyssa, I feel so lucky to have had someone like Victoria on the show today and she's a scientist and she obviously knows her her experience with this vaccine and so her being able to kind of t- walk me through this whole experience that she's had has given me a lot of hope and I think I've really needed that. And so I'm I'm really appreciative of her and everyone working on all the vaccine trials that are going on right now and participating in them. I just, I, my, you know, my, my gratitude on this Thanksgiving day definitely goes out to, to everyone, you know, helping to make the world a better place, like really immediately soon. <laughs> I know. And it's, um, you know, it's obviously been a very long year. And so just to be able to check in and hear about, you know, so much of it feels out of my control, I know is like one of the things, you know, you're just kind of like, doing the the pandemic things that you do and you're just like I, how can I help how can I you know and there's sometimes there's not a lot of tangible things you can do and you just start to go down that like hole of is anything going on is anything ever going to change you know so this is a refreshing interview that kind of reassured me that things are moving along and there is a light at the end of the tunnel we just have to be patient help when you can like Victoria is doing put yourself out there and um you know, I don't know. Can can we see the end or not? I feel like we can now start to feel like it's starting to maybe be visible at the very the very end of the tunnel. There's progress. There's progress and people working on it and uh, patience is definitely a virtue these days. But Alyssa, have a very happy Thanksgiving. Good luck in your turkey trot and in your mountain bike race. I can't wait to hear all about them. And I will talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, Haley. Talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.